This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books. With your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead Jr. And best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 180. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to find and use beta readers to massively improve your book. And Thomas, I... I can't believe we've never done an episode on beta readers. I mean, this is a critical component of of books. What what's wrong with us? We've interviewed some people who've used beta readers and we've talked about beta readers in Q&A episodes here and there. Yeah, but yeah, but we realize no one goes back and listens to the old Q&A episodes. All the golden nuggets in the old Q&A episodes are all hidden away for posterity. <laughs> uh, and you may be wondering, how does this have to do with marketing your book? And it actually is fundamental to marketing your book because good marketing helps a bad book fail faster. And if you want to be successful with your book and selling lots of copies, having a good book is not just critical, it is required. If your book is not good, you can't fix it with marketing. And beta readers are one of the best ways of making your book good. And by good, I don't mean good grammar. I mean good product market fit, where you're writing the kind of book that the kind of readers you're wanting to reach actually like it. And so how better to do that than to test your book on your beta readers? And our guess is a lot of you have never used beta readers or haven't used them or thought about it to the degree we're going to talk to you about it. So on the Facebook group, we would love to hear you comment, have you used beta readers in the past? Have you not used them? How have they worked out for you? This is going to be a real fun episode to discuss on the Facebook podcast group. And so with that, let's jump into it. And you may be asking, what is a beta reader? Uh, in fact, I was at a, I was speaking at a writer's event just the other day, and this lady's like, I feel like you're talking another language. What is a beta reader? <laughs> and the term comes from the software development world. Yeah, so it's a, actually, it's a technical term, and it's used for the people who test software to find the bugs before it's released to the general public. So for instance, when we were developing the MyBookTable WordPress plugin, we had beta readers who installed it on their websites. They had early access and they sent us all kinds of feedback on how to make the plugin better. So it wasn't just, hey, I click this button and it doesn't work kind of bugs, but also, hey, I want to do this and I can't find a way to do that. And then that kind of feedback helped us adapt my book table to be more useful for real people. And we were able to test it on people who were expecting bugs. So that's the biggest difference between releasing a plugin into the world. We, you know, these people opted in, they raised their hands and say, hey, I want to use the buggy early version. I want early access. In fact, these people paid to use the buggy version because they were Kickstarter backers. And then they gave us really good feedback. Um, and that helped us make the plugin better. And so a beta reader is that exact same approach, except instead of testing your software program or your video game, they're testing your book. They're reading the story. And anytime they get confused or you know, there's some continuity, it's like, hey, chapter two, you describe this person as having blonde hair. And in chapter 10, you describe them as having black hair. You know, which is it? And you're like, oh. I changed my mind halfway through the book. I need to you know, fix it. <laughs> and that's the sort of thing a beta reader will help you catch. And they'll also give you the overarching, um, wow, this character just, sorry, didn't work for me. Um, I didn't see the tension. Uh, your conclusion wrapped up too quick. I mean, they'll give you a lot of feedback. And we'll talk to you in this episode about the different types of 
beta readers. But that's essentially what a beta reader is. Now, why do you need them? Well, essentially, you need the fresh eyes. You're not objective, and neither are most spouses. Uh, They're just not objective about the story. And so beta readers help you see your story from another set of eyeballs. And you see this all the time in movies where they'll do test screening for audiences. And sometimes they'll test a movie and the beta audience will say, oh boy, that's not working for us at all. That's horrible. We loved the movie up until this point, and now we hate it. And one example of that is Pretty Woman. And Thomas, I watched A Star is Born with Lady Gaga and and, uh, Bradley Cooper. And Pretty Woman, the song uh, plays a a minor role in the the film. And so that made me think of Pretty Woman. Um, And that movie, if you've seen the movie, the original cut of that movie, Vivian and the Richard Gere character, did not get together at the end of the movie. And the test audiences said, what? You've got to be kidding me. They have to end up together. And so they reshot the movie. So they ended up together. So beta readers or beta viewers can make a huge impact in a positive way on your story. That's why you need them. Yeah, it's not uncommon for Hollywood films to film three or four different endings for the film and then test those endings because sticking the landing is really key for the success of a film. And, you know, something you might consider for your book is writing two or three different endings and find the ending that is the most resonant or at the very least get feedback on the one ending that you have. And uh, beta readers are really good for telling you which version they like. They may not know why, but they can tell you which one they like better. Okay, Thomas, where did you get that idea? Did you just come up with that off the top of your head of writing three different endings? No, so the idea came from uh, Born Identity. I got the DVD for it, and in the special edition, they actually included all the different endings as like deleted scenes. And it was totally different ways the film ended, minorly different, but it was fun to see kind of like alternate endings. And sometimes in DVDs, you'll see the alternate endings. Yeah, I, I've just never, I've never heard of authors doing that. And I, I've never done that. Although I, I have changed endings. I have done it myself where I've radically changed an ending of a book based on beta, beta readers, but I've never written it going into it. I love that idea. I love that idea of doing that up front. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, folks. Novel marketing <laughs> podcast. So let's talk a little bit about uh, who to look for in a beta reader. And not all beta readers are created equal and not all people make for good beta readers. And I will say this is the same in, as beta testers. Uh, beta testers for software, some people you really don't want them testing because they, they just confuse you with the feedback <laughs> right. they get. Or they're very unclear. They're like, it's broken. You're like, okay. What's broken? Everything. <laughs> like, really? It's like, that's not helpful for helping us fix this. So, uh, Jim, what are some things you look for in a good beta reader? Well, you want to look for age. By now, you've probably, or hopefully, you know who your target reader is. You you know if it's a her or a him, you know, the um, all uh, psychographic details, that kind of thing. And so, you want to think about the age of your beta reader. Does that match up? to your target audience. Another thing you want to think about is gender. So if you are writing your stories for a 35-year-old woman, you probably want to have some female beta readers. I'm not saying you don't have some male, but you want to probably have more female beta, beta readers since that's your target audience than you do male. Why do they read? This is a really important question. Why are they reading? Are they reading for education? Are they reading for escape? Are they reading for entertainment? Are they reading to get emotionally actually angry at the author? And there's some people that love to to, to read that way, just like there are some people that can't stand Howard Stern, and that's why they listen to him, or they can't stand Rush Limbaugh, so that's why they listen to him. So 
why do they read? And you need to think about why you write. You need to hopefully, and we've done episodes on this, why do you write? Do you write to entertain? Do you write to teach? Do you write to um, educate? Why are the reasons you write? You want to match up why you're writing to beta readers that are reading for that same reason. Um, Also, another thing to think about when you're choosing your beta readers is do they like giving reviews on Amazon and Rotten Tomatoes? Are they somebody at a party that can say, yeah, this is why I really like this movie? And they go through it and you go, wow, that was a really well-constructed review. Are they those type of people? So that's something you need to look for. How easily do they express an opinion about a book or a show or or a movie? Another thing that's really key for a beta reader is that they're a fan of your genre. Uh, and this is actually really important because if they're not a fan of your genre, you know, if you're writing science fiction and there's some tropes that science fiction readers are expecting and they are a thriller reader or a romance reader, uh, they may not like those trips and they may be giving you feedback saying, hey, I didn't like how evil your aliens were. I wanted them to be more relatable or whatever. And, you know, your science fiction readers are like, no, I want I like evil aliens. Right. Like that. That's the whole like I want the aliens to get it at the end. I don't want to feel bad that all the you know aliens, the entire alien race was killed off at the end of the book. I enjoy that. Whereas a, so a different kind of reader is like, oh, those poor aliens that got killed. Like, no, they're anyway. That's what we're talking about. Fans of the genre and especially. Especially if you're new to a genre, having fans of the genre can be a good way of having uh, your uh, book fit the genre that you're wanting to write for. Yeah, that's such a good point because they can say, uh, that's interesting, Jim, but that trope's been used so much that no one's going to read your book because it's been overdone. And you might not know that if you're giving it to people who aren't familiar with the genre. Great point, right? You don't want uh, fans of the genre rolling their eyes at your cliches. And you're like, oh, I thought I was the first one to think of this. Like, no, <laughs> I read 20 books that had a boy and his dragon, and that's been done. If you're going to do it, you got to do it differently. Uh, you can't do it just like how these last six books did it. Okay, Thomas, uh, how do we find and choose our beta readers? Where do we? Where are these people hanging out? So ideally, these are people who have already read some of your books. If you have multiple um, books written, if you're just getting started, if this is your first book, you can uh, you know ask your Facebook fans, ask your Twitter followers. Uh, you can go on LinkedIn. What I recommend doing is creating a application form. So it's not just everyone who raises their hand gets in. And you can create an application form for free uh, using Google Forms. Uh, it's not hard to do. Uh, you might uh, sign up to be a beta reader for some other author to see how they do it. <laughs> it's a, a kind of an easy hack. Yeah, that's a good idea. But it is important uh, not to just say yes to everyone. Uh, in fact, it, you want to be selective with your uh, beta readers. Uh, you know, these are ideally they're your super fans. Uh, where are some places to find super fans? Well, what happens though if it's your first novel? And, and you don't have any super fans. In this case, there are a number of places you can go. You can start to go to websites and hang out with these people that, for example, if you love writing science fiction, go to some places where the people are gushing about science fiction. They love discussing the latest books and this kind of thing. You can start to watch people. You can start to see comments. And those are people where you target them and you go, wow, this guy always has great insights. Wow, that gal is always talking about this and this and this. It's very clear she has a wide range of knowledge 
about science fiction, I would love to have her comment on my book. So that's, that's one way to do it. Another way is you can go to Goodreads. Goodreads actually has a page where you can join a group and find beta readers. Now, the thing I like about that is if you're a member of Goodreads, you are a serious reader. You probably have read extensively and you're excited. These people are excited about being part of a reading community. So I think going to Goodreads is another place to find really strong beta readers. One of the places that I got my beta readers were from my Kickstarter backers. And my Kickstarter levels at $50 and up came with, quote, early access to the manuscript, unquote. And so people (laughs) paid $50, which is way more than the book cost, uh, for access to early versions of the book. And I had several levels. I had alpha readers and I had a research team which kind of acted like beta reader. So you know, I didn't give it to everybody at the beginning. I kind of rolled it out in stages. And th- that was great. That was a great way of sorting people <laughs> because the people who were so excited about my book that they're willing to spend $50 to help it make help it be a reality are exactly the kind of people that represent the core audience I want to thrill. And of the entire writing process, I enjoyed interacting with my research team and with my alpha readers and with my beta readers more than any other aspect. I genuinely enjoyed it. And I uh, I did it with um, Google Docs, where we had a Google Doc for each chapter, and people could see each other's comments. And I would interact with my readers. Sometimes we'd have debates on philosophy and theology because for my book, it was nonfiction and people would be fact checking me and people would be fact checking their fact checks. And it was back and forth. And <laughs> it was so fun. And people didn't always agree with me. And I was able to incorporate feedback from these readers who didn't always agree with me. I was like, oh, well, if I word it this way, I can, you know, sidestep their objection. And suddenly this, you know, paragraph isn't the stumbling block that it used to be. And I really enjoyed that process. It was genuinely fun and it led to a much stronger book. Another thing is to go after the super fans. We talked we talked about if you if it's your first novel, you you don't have those fans yet. But if you've written two or three books, you probably have those fans who have written to you um, or they've left powerful reviews on Amazon, etc. Go after those people because their reaction will be you have got to be kidding me. You, you're going to let me read your manuscript when it's still in development? This is so cool. These are people who know the way you write, who love the way you write. And if you set up, if you set it up correctly, where you're telling them, I want your honest feedback. I want to know what is not working and what is working. You'll get deep insights from these people because like I just said, they already understand you. They understand where your stories go and they're vested in it because they want this to be another great book. So don't be afraid to ask your super fans. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's also important to coach your beta readers on what kind of feedback you're looking for. So you're not necessarily looking for copy edits. You're not looking for them to fix the grammatical construction of a sentence uh, because it doesn't make sense to fix the commas in a sentence that is in a paragraph that's going to get cut because it was going in the wrong direction altogether. So this is not um, like trimming the grass. This is affecting the dirt on the uh, doing landscaping, right? Like we're moving the mountains up and down. We're not like making sure the grass is perfect. That's for later on in the process. And you need people who are able to read your story and they won't get caught up too much in the fact that you have, you know, split infinitives and run on sentences and kind of the other like um, cruft that builds up around an early draft. Another person you might choose is 
we, we talked about picking somebody, you know, picking people that read in your genre. You might consider picking somebody that doesn't read in your genre because you are going to get fresh insight. You might have to educate them on some things, but you're going to get fresh insight where they might come along and go, well, I don't understand why this happens. Everyone who reads in your genre gets it, why this happens, but that person doesn't get it. And you're going to go, oh, wow, I could explain that just a little bit more. So fresh insight, just like we tell you, hey, write in your genre. And if you've never written in romance and have no desire to write a romance, just write a short story romance because you're going to learn something about your yourself and your writing. In the same way, getting input from somebody that doesn't necessarily read in your genre can be real insightful for you. Careful though, uh, because you don't want to dilute your appeal to the core readers by appealing to this person. If you try to be something for everything, you end up becoming nothing for anyone. Oh, I agree. I'm not saying you write to that person. What I'm saying is if somebody that has not, is not that versed in your genre, they might give you insights that might take you in a new direction or spark your creativity. So it's, it's, I'm definitely not saying, yeah, take their input and change it to make them happy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get input from them that might take your, your creativity in a way it hadn't, hasn't gone before. Okay. So if you're going to do this, I would recommend using Google Docs over Microsoft Word so that people can see each other's feedback. That way, if they disagree, they can leave a comment right there (laughs) because that way you're taking this feedback with a a big dose of salt, a good grain of salt. And that way, you know, if, you know, if if somebody who's not a fan of your genre is like, hey, this didn't work. And then all the fans of your genre are agreeing with them. Well, it's like, ooh, now I have this really useful insight. Whereas if, you know, the non-fan says something and everyone else says the other, you know, okay, thank you for your feedback. I may not incorporate that into the book. Okay, so Thomas just brought something up that um, is interesting. What he's, if, if you didn't catch that, what Thomas is suggesting is that you let your beta readers have access to a Google Doc where they can read the manuscript and they can make comments on that doc and other people can see other people's comments. And I would say, do not do that. Do not allow a doc. I want, when I do my beta readers, I want everybody separate and I want all the feedback to come in separate because studies show that if you see somebody else's comment, that will influence your comment. And I don't want my comments influenced it all with my beta readers. So Thomas, talk to me about that. Yeah, so it's two different approaches, uh, whether or not to use Google Docs or whether or not to use Microsoft Word. And the uh, advantage of Google Docs is you can have that interplay. And how I fought it, because you are right in the the first person who speaks in a brainstorming session kind of influences the others. How I overcame that for my book is I had several rounds. So I had an initial round with you know five or six alpha readers. And then I you know, cleaned up all their comments off the dock, and then I expanded it to like 30 people. And those 30 people were seeing it with fresh eyes. They didn't know what the alphas, the conversation the alphas had already had uh, in, in the room. And so then they gave me new feedback, which was different than getting five different Word documents from five different people and then merging uh, those comments. Uh, I will say for a, a novel, I do see the advantage of getting completely separate feedback from uh, people Um the, for nonfiction, I really liked the debate, though, uh, because the presence of, div- of a debate in that interplay was very informative to me in the sense of like, oh, I've struck a nerve here. Um, and, and we were able to have that discussion around the ideas, uh, whereas uh, for anyway, I can see it both ways. And there's an advantage to using Google Docs. There's the advantage to using Word. I will say Google Docs 
um, isn't ideal for really long books. Uh, so what worked well was we did it a chapter at a time, which works well for nonfiction because each chapter kind of stands on its own. Google Docs can run slow if you have a 300 page book all in one Google Doc. Gotcha. Well, speaking of, we're speaking of they and them. How many, Thomas? How many beta <laughs> readers? Is it three? Is it 300? How many beta readers makes sense? So I know a lot of uh, authors will have you know, two to five alpha readers. I think Stephen King has three alpha readers. It's his literary agent. It's his wife and like one or two other people. Uh, and, and I will say alpha readers, the practice of alpha readers goes back hundreds of years. It predates the idea of you know, beta testing a book. Uh, and, and oftentimes the alpha reader is the spouse, right? They're the first one who gets to look at it. Uh, for betas, I feel like any more than 30 gets to be unwieldy. Uh, and that may be too much. If you're getting 30 Word documents and you're merging those 30 Word documents, what you end up with may be completely unwieldy. Um, especially if those people are giving you textual changes. You may want to insist if you have 30, just insert comments. <laughs> don't, or don't do track changes at all. Just send me back an email with your feedback and be like, on page 23, I thought this. Uh, that may be the better way to handle a big group. Um, I think I had in the final wave, kind of the final ripple, I think I was getting feedback from 30 people. Um around there. I had 28 people back at the $50 level <laughs> of my book and um, probably another 25 who backed at higher levels, 10 to 20 who backed at higher levels. Uh, so I had a total pool of maybe 75 beta readers, but not all of those people who paid for early access took advantage of that. Uh, and they, they didn't give me back the feedback. Um, that would have probably been a little overwhelming. You don't want too many beta readers. <laughs> so, uh, because I will say a beta is not going to be very interested in the final version of your book. Uh, you know, they've already been looking at earlier versions. They're not going to be going out and buying your book, most likely. <laughs> That's a kind way of saying it. <laughs> in fact, really, you should be sending them a signed copy with a big thank you note, right? You're not expect like once somebody becomes a beta reader, they're no longer a customer. They are a member of the team, uh, and that needs to be the way that you see them. Uh, now, I did have a lot of overlap between my beta readers and my launch team because uh, the way my Kickstarter was structured. But uh, that's my thought on the numbers. What are your, what's your thought on how big? Um, it depends. It depends on the type of writer you are. It depends on, like anything, you're going to learn as you go. My first novels, I had a bunch of beta readers, and now I my the number has diminished quite a bit because I found people that I really trust. They've given me penetrating insight on novel after novel after novel. And so I'm in a really nice position that I have this group that I, I feel really comfortable with, love their feedback. And so that's that's what I've done at this point is I've kept that number small. I really haven't tried. And I have some people saying, hey, I'd love to read your book in advance. And I say, nope, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I think a lot of it is trial and error. And I will say, um, what you're describing, Jim, I see is very common amongst kind of more established writers. It's very uh, common for a writer to kind of eventually get their core group of beta readers pretty small. And you will find that your best feedback comes from uh, a handful of your beta readers. So part of what I did when, in creating those ripples is after I got feedback on the first couple of chapters, I created an even smaller ripple of the very best people who are giving me feedback, who are surprising sources, actually, my parents turned out to be incredibly useful alpha readers and beta <laughs> readers. They're putting in tons of times. They're giving super useful feedback. Um, and they were giving uh, feedback that was like 
applicable and I found myself because here's another thing just because a beta reader tells you something that doesn't mean it's true and it doesn't mean you need to put it in your book and one of the things you'll do as you figure out who's a good beta reader is who's giving you uh, feedback that you're actually working with (laughs) and using and you'll get your core team and you'll you see this in Hollywood too you'll have directors who tend to use the same actors over and over again the same crew over and over again and after a while they have their team and they're, it's like a fine-tuned machine, and they're able to cr- create consistently good movies. And you, you never know where your, <laughs> your best beta readers are going to come from. My son, Taylor, who is my partner in the Rubart Writing Academy, he was just not a reader growing up at all. Um, and he has turned in, in the last five years, turned into this voracious reader where I think he did 52 books last year, which – um, to me, that's, you know, you're, you're reading a book a week. You're, you're, you're definitely uh, higher on the scale. And so he turned into one of my beta readers and he is unbelievable. He's brilliant. And he'll come back with comments that are exactly the same as my two editors. And, it's, and so over time, I've learned to put a tremendous amount of trust in him. And so it can be a close family member. Darcy is another one of my beta readers. That's just unbelievable. And she does not hold back. Jim, this she wouldn't say this. This is not working. And I appreciate that so much, having family members that'll be brutally honest. And of course, that's a quality you need in a beta reader where they're not going to hold back. They're they're not worried about hurting your feelings. Hey, Thomas, let's talk about now that we have chosen our beta readers, what do we do with them? But first, um, I want to talk about our sponsor because it is still tax season. We're, we're coming to the end of this. So what happens, Thomas, if you want to write off more this year on your taxes if you want to save the max you can uh, on taxes. What do you do? Help us out. Yeah. So for those of you in the United States, uh, the tax laws in the United States just went through a major change over the last couple of years. And one of those changes has to do with hobbyists and how hobbyists' taxes are handled and what they can write off and what they can't write off. And so if you are an author Uh, It may be that the IRS no longer sees you as eligible for tax deductions. Uh, Maybe they do, maybe they don't. And to help you with those kinds of questions, uh, we put together a course on taxes for authors, uh, what to do to get your maximum deductions, uh, things you can do to reduce the likelihood of being audited, and so much more. Even a lot of fundamental business advice, ways of making money before your first book comes out. This is a course I put together with my dad, who's a CPA. He's been working with authors for over 35 years, so he really knows what's going on. And if you are a patron, you can still save 50% on this course at authortaxtips.com. If you're a patron, log in uh, to your account on patreon.com. You can find that coupon code. If you can't find the coupon code, message us through Patreon and we will send you uh, the coupon code or a link that will activate your exclusive patrons only discount. The course is normally $99. Patrons can get it for uh, $49. All right, Jim, let's talk about what to do with your patrons, or sorry, not your patrons, what to do with your beta readers once you have them. So they've, <laughs> they've signed up, you've got your list of beta readers. What do you do? Well, I want to talk about what we do with our patrons. <laughs> we give them all kinds of stuff, including an exclusive bonus episode, exclusive discounts, and our love and affection. Sweet, sweet. I love it. I love it. Okay, so what do we do with our beta readers once we have them? Uh, you, you need to a- answer that question for yourself. First of all, what do you want them to do? Some people go, hey, I just want you to work on my characters. I think I've got everything else working. I just want you to work on my characters. Or I want you to lo- t- talk to me about the overall story arc. W- I want you to talk to me about theme. Um, 
so decide what kind of input you want. Some people say, yeah, I, I think I've got all that figured out. I, I just want to, I just want to know, um, are my sentences repeating themselves? Uh, so you got to figure out first of all, what you want them to do. And then this is an interesting perspective on it. Let them choose. You might find over time, you have a beta reader that's really good with theme and is the theme working. You might have somebody else that's really great at characters. You might have somebody else that gives you great input on pacing. Don't put them in a box and say, you have to give me all these answers. It'd be great if they did. But again, you're asking them to do this as a favor. You're asking them to do this for free. And so give them a little bit of leeway in what they give you as far as feedback. Another thing uh, you may have them look at is continuity. And this is especially important for epic fantasy. If you're writing 600 page epic fantasy tomes and you're building this world, one of the things epic fantasy readers really want to see in your world is consistency. Uh, right. If the centaurs can talk in chapter one and they can't talk in chapter, you know, 41, <laughs> there better be a reason. <laughs> yeah, there better be a reason. Right. And it's very easy to have continuity problems crop up as you ha- are revising your own book. Uh, and this sometimes is as simple as like a character name that was Joe in the early drafts and then you changed him to Jason in the later drafts. But um, when you're doing a lot of world building, it's it's very common to have lots of continuity er- errors. And there's a certain kind of beta reader who loves finding continuity problems. In fact, oftentimes people will find their continuity beta readers based off of readers who email them feedback. You know, like, um, it's actually, you miss blah, 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 you know, and give them a big, long list of details that weren't didn't have good continuity. And the, the correct, um, if that person is even remotely friendly, uh, the correct pr- uh, approach is, I love you. How would you like to be a beta reader for the next one? And if they took the time to give you free beta reading feedback on your book, there's a very good chance to be like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to be your beta reader in the future. And they could be a total stranger to you and give you great continuity feedback, especially for you uh, fantasy and sci-fi writers. Another thing you could think about doing is developing a questionnaire where you give them the freedom to answer as many or as few of the questions as they want to. But if you give them a, a, a bit of a guideline, hey, this is what I'm looking for. How did this strike you? Uh, when Fred ended up killing Wilma at the end, did what did that, how did that uh, work for you? Should I have drawn that out? longer or was it the right pacing? You can guide them in a certain respect so that they're just not going, um, yeah, you want feedback on the story? Yeah, that's it. That's a little nebulous. Give them a little bit of a framework that they can work from and pretty easy to develop one of those sheets. Yeah. And a question I really like asking is how many pages did you read in your first sitting? And this is a code way of asking, but you don't ask it this way. What page did you stop reading on? (laughs) (laughs) What page did you get bored on? Yeah, seriously. Right. Because people often won't want to answer that because maybe that will hurt your feelings. But if everyone is reading 24 pages in their first sitting, you need to go look at page 24 and figure out what's going on. (laughs) It's like something on that page is giving people permission to stop. And if you can craft your book where people just really have a hard time putting it down, it's like there's glue on the cover and they just can't put your book down. That's when you've got a winner. And this is the kind of feedback that um, is really useful. And 25 people read your book and, you know, seven of them stopped on page 25. Uh, Man, take a look at that page and the pages leading up to it. And, you know, maybe there's nothing obviously wrong 
right? It's just, you had a lot of tension and then for whatever reason, the tension slacked off and you're like, okay, ramp up, ramp up the tension, right? If it's a romance, you need to add some romantic conflict, right? Bring in another, you know, potential love interest that's distracting the protagonist, whatever. Uh, You know, you're the author, you'll know how to fix it. But knowing where the trouble spots are is often better than knowing how to fix them. Because you, once you know the problem, fixing it's often pretty easy. That's a great point, Thomas. That that's a game changer. I'm reading a book right now where I, man, the thing first three chapters took off, and then chapter four it just slowed way down. And now I'm going, oh yeah, I need to get back to that, rather than I can't wait to get back to it. So great point. Um, a couple other things you want to make sure you give a deadline. This is when I need it by, and they might write right back and go, oh gosh, that's that's too soon for me. You thank them, and then you put them on the list for next time. This should. Uh, go without being said, but we're going to say it anyway. And that is whatever they say, your response is, wow, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're not going to argue. You're not going to say, well, this is why it should work for you. No, you're going to be extremely gracious because they're taking their time to give you that honest feedback. So yeah, it's going to sting. It still stings when I get feedback on my stories. Still stings. But you're an award-winning author. You've won like five (laughs) book of the year awards. How, How does it hurt you? (laughs) <laughs> I know we are such thin skinned beasts. We authors, right? Um, but you have to develop that thick skin. You have to just say, thank you. And you can read it and then you go away for a few days and come back to it when the, the sting isn't there as much, but you, you have to receive the critique graciously. And just because you're receiving it graciously doesn't mean that you have to do anything with it. Uh, I want to underline this again, because especially new authors who haven't found their voice are still looking for their voice. Having lots of beta readers actually can put your voice in jeopardy, especially if those beta readers are giving you overly detailed feedback. Um, And so instead of being like, I got lost in chapter four uh, or so-and-so character didn't make sense to me, that's good feedback. But like, I think that you are being too, if their feedback's more, Jim, give me some examples of feedback that could inhibit your voice a little bit. Like, I think your sentences are too short, right? That you need to be longer and fluffier and like, no, my voice is very pithy. I write very short sentences. What are some other examples that could, uh, of things you don't want to listen to? If, if somebody is saying, for example, your, your, your description is going on too long there from that character. Um, I, I'd like them to, to, to not ramble on so long when they're talking, but you know, in your head, you're actually trying to portray that character as a rambling, I never shut up monologue or type character. Cause it fits who they are. You're going to take away the heart of that character if you do that. So you have to take each bit of advice knowing inside I'm confident in what I've created here. I'm not looking for you to rebuild the ship, but I might consider putting a window <laughs> you know, on, on, on this side of the ship that wasn't there before. And you don't have to use them again. So just because someone was your beta reader on your early book, and like we said earlier, over time, you're going to build a team of beta readers you're a good fit with who are giving you the right kind of feedback, whose strengths overlap uh, with your weaknesses. And this is part of the reason why your first books that you write are your worst books, right? The carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter. You are made a better writer by the books that you write. And your team gets better with the more books that you write. This is why persistence is so key and why so few authors hit it big with their first book. 
I know you don't want to hear that. Those of you who are struggling with your first book, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I've been toiling away <laughs> on this first book for five years. The second book won't be as hard, right? You are learning a lot of things the hard way, especially if you didn't get started with short stories. You're probably doing a lot of unnecessary editing. These are the sorts of things we talk about in our five-year plan, kind of how to get through this faster. But over time, you'll get better. You really will. You will get better and your team will get better. And the result of that is an exponential increase in the quality of your books, which will uh, reflect in the number of books that you sell. Okay, Thomas, we now know what we're going to do with our, our beta readers. We're done. How do we say thank you to them? So uh, what I did in my book is actually have a credits page at the end and every alpha reader is name is listed in the credits. So I have a thanks, like an acknowledgement section for people who are like encouraging to me emotionally, like my family and sort of things. But I also have like, you can know who the copy editor and the um, developmental editor and the proofreader were and every name of each person on the launch team. Like you get your name featured in the book in a bulleted list at the end, which people really enjoyed. Um, And I, I will say of all all the things we're going to talk about giving them like heartfelt thanks where they feel appreciated, I think is um, the number one most important thing. And another way that you can do that is to send them a signed copy with a note in it, thanking them for their uh, contribution to the book. I couldn't have done it without you. I really appreciate all of your feedback. Uh, You know, write that note in the book and send it to them that they can keep and treasure. Yeah. One of the things I did years ago when CDs were still CDs, <laughs> when, when people still bought CDs, is I bought a stack of my favorite instrumental CD and I just sent sent that out as a thank you. So it cost me 10 bucks each and a little bit of shipping, but not much to spend at all for this huge um, favor that they did me did for me. Other things you can do is thank them on social media. It's a great way to talk about the progress of your book and at the same time, acknowledge it. People love to see their name and uh, as being helpful. So it doesn't have to be something huge and over the top. But as Thomas said, a heartfelt thanks goes miles and miles. As does a Starbucks gift card or coffee with you. So one of my launch team beta readers, Kickstarter backers, you know, the guy backed me on Kickstarter, gave me feedback uh, as a beta reader. And he was on the launch team. You know, he sent me a message on social media saying, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. And I was like, hey, how would you like to get coffee? Right. My book was on dating and relationships. He had gotten married uh, partly in thanks to the book. Right. He held up a copy of my book with his wife on their wedding day. And they had like posed for a photo kissing, which is my favorite thing. Uh, like I, I've gotten several of these people who've actually sent me pictures of themselves kissing their spouse on their wedding day while holding copies of my book. And I was like, I'd totally love to buy you coffee. And I took him out to Starbucks and we chatted for uh, an hour. And it was a great opportunity to meet in person and a really powerful way to say thank you in, in a like in-person way. And again, you, while you can't take every reader out to Starbucks, you totally could take every beta reader out to Starbucks, especially the ones who are in your town or your local coffee shop of choice, right? I know a lot of people don't like Starbucks for whatever reason. I'm not saying, anyway, take them out to coffee or tea or lunch or whatever. So anyway, we hope this has been uh, helpful for you in terms of getting beta readers. This is a very powerful technique for becoming a better uh, writer and it's something to take advantage of. And uh, speaking of being thankful uh, to people, we would like to thank our featured patron, Jim. Yeah, huge thanks goes out to Peter DeHaan for being a novel marketing patron. Peter is the author of Women of the Bible, The Victorious, The Victims, The Virtuous, and The Vicious, where Peter explores how God really feels about women and brings a fresh perspective that will help you celebrate your victories, embrace your virtue, have more compassion for victims, 
and avoid the errors of the vicious. And thank you to all of you who are patrons. We could not do this show without you. And if you're interested in finding out what the patrons get, those extra bonuses and warm, fuzzy feelings that you send to us, you can go to novelmarketing.com and you'll see along the top, you'll see buttons. And one of them says Patreon, click that and it'll take you to all the info you need to know. And if you're if you've been a patron for a long time and you're happen to be in Austin, Texas or in um, whatever part of Washington Jim is in at the time, you know, reach out to us. Maybe we can get uh, coffee <laughs> with you. We can treat we can give you the beta reader treatments if you are a novel marketing there you uh, go. patron and coffee <laughs> will be on us again. Thank you so much. Uh, those of you who help make the show possible. Uh, we really do appreciate it and we want to make it uh, worth it for you. You have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you n- innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing and on how to become a better writer offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening.